You know, most of our kids really love to sing the song, Father Abraham. Now, I'm sure the reason is the actions that go with it and not the words themselves, but the words are very important. But I'm not going to sing it for you this morning. I'm not going to demonstrate the actions. Okay, right hand, left hand, right foot, turn around. Okay, never That's just for you, Dixie. All right. More importantly, I want us to think about the words to the song, Father Abraham, because those words will serve as introduction to our study in Galatians this morning. Again, without singing it, it goes, Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Now, historically, there's a very true statement. Father Abraham did have many sons, or perhaps we should say he had many descendants. Now, the Hebrew people, the Jews, have always taken pride in the fact that they were sons of Abraham. And the Muslims do as well. Jews trace their lineage through Isaac, the son of promise, and Muslims through Ishmael, Abraham's firstborn. Abraham was also the father of six sons through Keturah, who became his wife after the death of Sarah. And six separate Arab tribes came from them. So Abraham indeed had many sons. In fact, when he was 99 years old, God changed his name from Abram, exalted father, to Abraham, father of a multitude. And he did so because he was going to make Abraham the father of a multitude of nations. So the part of the song that says Father Abraham had many sons makes sense. But why would Christian kids sing, I am one of them, and so are you, some 4,000 years after Abraham's death? And why would they get excited about it and say, let's just praise the Lord? Then raise their right hand and their left hand and their right foot and their left foot while singing the song over and over and over again. Well, obviously, raising the hands and feet and turning around and sitting down, we do understand. They're kids and they're having fun. But again, what's the big deal about being a son of Abraham? The big deal, quite frankly, is that being a son of Abraham is to be heir of his promises and blessings. Promises God made to him and blessings he bestowed upon him. And those promises and blessings are very significant. And that's why everyone who understands wants to be a son of Abraham. Wouldn't you like to find out that you have a very wealthy aunt or uncle somewhere, and you're going to be heir of all their riches, wouldn't that make you a little excited? Well, everyone wants to be a son of Abraham. And that's actually as true today as it was in Paul's day. And the Judaizers were playing on that, promising Gentile converts that they could become sons of Abraham if they would be circumcised and become Jewish. Doing so, however, put them back under the law. 
And that's why Paul countered their argument by making it clear that anyone could become a son of Abraham. And they could do so without circumcision, without keeping the law, and without being born into a particular family. That means even we can become sons and daughters of Abraham and heirs of his promises and blessings. So how do we do it? How do we become sons of Abraham? Quite simply, we become sons of Abraham by faith. We're in Galatians chapter 3, verses 6 through 9. Even so... Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations shall be blessed in you. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. The words even so ties this with what went before. Paul had made it clear that the Galatians had come into the relationship with God through faith. And the same was true of Abraham. Abraham believed God. When God told Abraham to leave his homeland and go to a place which God would, would direct him to, he went. He believed God. He trusted him. He took off without maps or a GPS. He took God at his word. And he did as he asked. And then, when God told him to look at the stars and to try to count them, God told him he would make his descendants just like that, too numerous to count. And Abraham believed him, even though he was in his 70s at the time and childless. And Moses tells us that because Abraham believed in the Lord, he reckoned it to him as righteous. Now, Moses didn't say God changed Abraham into a righteous man. He said he reckoned him to be a righteous man. The fact that Abraham did not become a perfectly righteous man was clearly demonstrated ten years later when he had a crisis of faith and took matters into his own hands. Thinking his wife too old to bury him a child, he decided to help God keep his promise by having a child through his wife's handmaid. That led to problems we're still dealing with today between Muslims and Jews. But in spite of his less than perfect obedience and less than perfect faith, God considered him to be righteous. He reckoned him to be righteous because he took God at his word. And on the basis of his faith, Abraham became the friend of God. That is so cool. The prophet Isaiah tells us Abraham was the friend of God. Well, Paul says in the same way, all those who are of faith can become sons 
of Abraham. In other words, what makes it possible to become sons of Abraham is not physical lineage, it's spiritual lineage. Abraham entered into a special relationship with his father in heaven through faith. And we enter into a special relationship with Abraham as well as with our mutual heavenly father through faith as well. And then, while God did make a great nation from physical sons of Abraham, in fact, many great nations, his ultimate purpose wasn't to populate the earth with tribes that sprang from Abraham's loins. It was to populate the earth and heaven itself with people who share the faith that Abraham placed in him. That's why God told Abraham all the nations would be blessed in him. And that included the Gentiles, the ones the Jews would later come to despise. Now, in spite of what most Jews thought, when God made a special nation of Abraham's earthly family, he wasn't trying to cut other peoples off from him. He was simply creating a channel through which he could bless all families of the earth. The Jews forgot that. But Abraham knew it. For as Paul noted, God preached the gospel to him. That's a very interesting phrase. God preached the gospel to him. I think that means that God shared with Abraham the good news. That anyone could come into a relationship with him through faith. That even Gentiles could be justified if they exhibited the same kind of faith Abraham had. After all, Abraham was a Gentile when God justified him. When he called him to be his friend and made promises to him. And God desires that same relationship with everyone. We can all become sons of Abraham, and friends of God by trusting him. But where does the law fit into all this? The Judaizers were insisting that in order to be blessed, a person had to come under the law, and that the law was actually the way to friendship with God. And they made it sound reasonable. You know, it makes sense to think you become God's friend by doing what he wants. We become friends by pleasing each other. So it made sense. But in reality, it's impossible to become a friend of God by doing what pleases him because we can't do everything that he wants. We can't do everything the law tells us God wants us to do. Doing everything God wants, as revealed in the law, is the basis of friendship with God. We are doomed because we cannot do it all. And in fact, we are under a curse. Verses 10 through 12. For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident 
For the righteous man shall live by them. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. When Paul said, For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse, he shocked his hearers. That was a shocking statement for Paul to make. The Jews taught that those without the law were under a curse. But Paul says those who were trying to live by the law were the ones who were under the curse. And then he quoted Scripture to prove it. In Deuteronomy, Moses declared that anyone who didn't abide by the law was under a curse. And he made it clear that the law had to be taken as a whole. You had to keep it all. Everything the law said, you had to do. Everything. And if you didn't, you were under a curse. And the curse was severe. The 28th chapter of Deuteronomy delineated a number of curses, consequences of disobedience, and ended with separation from God. So you can't be a friend of God on the basis of the law unless you keep it all. And no one can do that. But then Paul will make it clear that the law was never intended to be the basis of a man's relationship with God. Now, again, this was a shocker to the Jews and the Judaizers. They assumed the law was given to tell men what they had to do to become a friend of God. Forgetting, of course, that Abraham became a friend of God some 400 years before the law was given. And again, Paul proved his point with Scripture. He quoted Habakkuk. 2-4, to show that even under the old covenant, the righteous man lived by faith. That he wasn't justified by the law. And when Habakkuk and Paul say a man shall live by faith, it means more than simply living on earth. It also means living eternally. The righteous man the one God views as righteous, the man who has been justified, will live eternally because of his faith. And he will do so because of his trust in the fact that God has justified him, has made him righteous, has made him acceptable to himself. As we've been saying for the past several weeks, it's all of God. It's not of us. That's how we get to live forever, as friends of God. And that's the way Abraham did it. But again, what of the law? Can't you have faith in the law? And what God will do through the law? When Habakkuk said a righteous man lives by faith, can't he be saying faith in the law itself? Paul says no. Because the law is not of faith. The law is of doing. Your relationship with the law is not based upon your belief in the law, but upon your obedience to it. That's the nature of law. And when stopped by a trooper for speeding, I'm sure you know someone who's experienced that, 
It's not enough to affirm that you believe in the law. You must obey it. And that's Paul's argument. If you want to base your relationship with God on law, fine. Theoretically, it's possible to live by the law. You can even gain eternal life through the law if you practiced it perfectly, without failure. But no one can do it. So the law, rather than saving us, puts us under a curse. It condemns us. It cuts us off from God. It breaks our relationship with God. The law prevents us from becoming friends of God. Because we cannot meet its demands. We can't measure up. And that is why we must come to him on a different basis altogether. We must come to him on the basis of faith. And Jesus makes that possible for everyone, Jew, Muslim, or Gentile. Anyone can become a friend of God. And they do so through faith in Christ and what he did for them. Verses 13 and 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, in order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. What did Christ do? He redeemed us from the curse of the law. That's interesting. We don't think in those terms. That's what it says here. He redeemed us from the curse of the law. The law had us under a curse. Since we couldn't measure up, it condemned us. It put us under the curse of God. But Jesus redeemed us. He got rid of the curse for us. How did He do so? He did so by taking upon Himself that curse. By becoming accursed in His own person. And doing so in our place. That is what he did on the cross. And by going to the cross, he publicly displayed himself as cursed for our sin. He wasn't cursed for his own sin. He was sinless. But he took upon himself our curse and made it evident that he was cursed now. Allowing himself to be hung on the cross. For as the Old Testament declares, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Now that's not saying people were cursed as a result of being hung on a tree. They were hung on a tree because they were cursed. And when Jesus was crucified, he was essentially hung on a tree. Now crucifixion 
wasn't practiced when the law was written. So what did it mean when it referred to being hung on a tree? Well, during the Old Testament period, condemned men were generally stoned to death. But after stoning, their bodies were hung on a tree or a wall until sundown so everyone could see them. And it was done so all would know that their death was the result of being condemned, being cursed under the law. That they had come under the curse of God. And that was demonstrated by being hung on a tree for all to see. Now what wasn't understood was that everyone was under that curse. That everyone deserved to be hung on a tree. But Jesus understood that, and that's why he came. He came to take that curse upon himself. He came to make it possible for anyone to have that curse taken from them and placed upon him. For the curse to be placed upon the only one who could bear it and still live. That is why Jesus went to the cross. He did so. So the curse could be removed from us. So we could share in the blessings of Abraham and become friends of God. So we could be justified. So we can be made clean in the eyes of God and made into fit vessels for God's Holy Spirit. All of that was made possible, not through the law, but through the cross of Christ. It was made possible through faith in what Jesus did for us on the cross. And it is through such faith that we become sons of Abraham. We become sons of Abraham by believing that God can and will do for us that which we cannot do for ourselves. That He can make me into someone considered righteous enough to become a friend of God. That is mind-boggling. Christ can make you righteous enough in God's eyes to become His friend. That's amazing. And it's something you could never do on your own. You could never live a life good enough to be acceptable in the sight of a holy God. It's only through the cross, that you can be made clean enough to be rid of the curse and allowed to become a friend of God. Wow. Father Abraham had many sons. And as the song says, I am one of them. I am one of them. That's my prayer. That you can sing that song and say, I am one of them, and so are you. I am too. That's our desire. It sounds a little foreign to our thinking to want to be sons of Abraham. 
But to be sons of Abraham are to share in his blessings. To benefit from the promises made to him. And to become a friend of God. I want to be a son of Abraham. And through Christ, I am. It's my prayer that you are too. If not, I invite you to become one. I invite you to express your faith in Christ and in what He did for you on the cross. I invite you to become a son of Abraham by acknowledging that the way of the cross leads home. That the cross is what makes it possible for you to come back into the family of God. That it's the cross that makes it possible for you to become a son of Abraham and an heir of the promises of God. What an amazing position to hold. If you've not embraced it, do so now.